Well, it's been a long time. It has. I've missed this. Me too. Um, so, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster by Bill Gates. Yep. What did you think? It was refreshing to... This is going to sound... I don't even know if we should jump right in here, but this is going to sound odd for me to say on a podcast that's about like faith and you know interconnecting that with your life and things that are reality, things that are happening. But it was refreshing to read something that didn't have this big moral arsenal of uh, attacks and just weaponry, you know, kind of to to fight this battle, you know, like it felt very straightforward and like, yes, this is the reality, but don't panic yet. It's going to be hard, but we can do it. We've done other hard things before, you know, and I've looked into it. (laughs) Yeah. And here are some of the ways that I think as somebody who is pretty well informed that we can actually do this. And these are some of the reasons why it's happened and it doesn't make all of this group villains. They're just sort of natural. And I I guess he's coming, he's coming at it obviously from science and an economy standpoint. So it was refreshing to have that, to read through that. I've been reading a lot of other stuff, you know, about climate change that comes from the faith side of things. And so, you know, I want to talk more about that, but to answer your question, that was what I thought. That was my initial like, okay. Yeah. You know? And I would add to that, like, it's not full of a lot of opinions. He sort of Can rises above <laughs> all of the politics and all of the way this has become a partisan issue. Yes. And he has sort of this 100,000 foot view where he's able to just talk about it sort of with this almost adorable <laughs> naivete that he's like going to be pissing people off left and right and all over the place, <laughs> right? Although yes. one of his central points is that policy is such a huge part of this. Yes. Um, so should we talk about how we came to choose this book in terms of what yes, you're going to say? Like, like, I wanted to ask you, because you were the person who years ago, do you remember how long ago it was? It was when Reese was a baby because we switched to the, um, okay, so the G diapers. 15 years ago? Yeah. 15 years ago. You gave a talk at church, and it was in a women's group, a women's setting, you know, and it was the first time I had heard a Christian speak about, at the time, I, what I remember in my mind, what I took from it was recycling, you know, and kind of, what can I do, you know, as an individual to help the planet? And it challenged me to change some things. And so going all the way back, and, and obviously before that for you, How did this come to you as something that really struck a chord in your soul? Well, okay, I have to be careful to edit here because I could talk about this for hours. Succinct. In a quick nutshell, how did this come to you? Well, I grew up backpacking. My dad took us backpacking in the Sierra Nevada all my childhood and and coastal mountains and all that stuff. And then when I was in college, I worked for an uh, organization to preserve the rivers in California. So I worked for a nonprofit that was sort of an activist organization and all of this stuff. And then life moved on. And growing up in California, I would think is also a Right. Well, my mom was, you know, one of those people that drove her recycling to the recycling place because there was no curbside recycling. So I did kind of grow up with it more than I think most people. And when you're a kid, of course, you don't realize that nobody else 
in, is, do- is doing that. <laughs> that this seems weird yeah. to other people. But you know, I had it was a very secular upbringing, but that yeah. was really important to both of my parents in those two spheres. So then when I came to faith, um, and then I heard Rob Bell speaking about this, he did a series called God is Green. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I even heard the title, I was like, (gasps) and I just was so drawn to it. And it seemed so right that it was so obvious that our call as stewards of the planet includes all of this stuff. And again, like it's not to blame anybody or to take it on ourselves as, oh, we've trashed the earth and we're horrible Horrible stewards. Although yeah. maybe you could you could sure say that we have right. been. There are arguments to be made for sure. Right, but that now that we see it and we see that we have a play, a, a part to play, as we as we used to say, partner with God as He is restoring all things. Yeah. That it just seems like such an obvious direction to go in. Right. Once we see that there's a problem in that, those times, because I I do think the reason I'm asking you these questions is because. One of the quotes that stuck out to me in doing some of this reading is how hard it is for us as a species to get our minds around climate change. Like it doesn't hit us as an as an immediate threat. Um, like our minds just aren't wired and like we're not equipped to handle this and feel motivated to act because it's not a flight or fight. Yes, yes, right. essentially that. Um, and it's also not personalized you know like um the things that affect us it's becoming more and more personal but the things that affect us tend to be something that we can attribute to other reasons or we don't pay attention um you know floods that normally wouldn't happen for a hundred years happening every fourth or fifth year you know things like that unless you're kind of paying attention and putting things in, in that category you can just keep going along you know thinking that everything's fine and personalizing this what do you call it what do you what do you call creation care okay you know to use sort of a more faith Mm -hmm. perspective word yeah that i think it's a great term because it in it it centralizes it as a calling as people of faith right so use the word creation absolutely and so because that is so obvious, I just want to ask one more question about like going back in becoming a follower of Christ, becoming a Christian. Did it strike you as odd that this wasn't part of it, that this was like an outlier kind of a thing? It didn't strike church? me as odd just because I am so aware of sort of the subculture of, of church. Okay. And so we already had that reputation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I grew up just to like give my, cause, cause you really have mentored me in this. And so I grew up obviously in the church, like I've said before, and going back, I thought about this, like going back to the, the days of, I don't even know if this impacted you not being within the church circle at this time, but back in the seventies, when there was this whole big thing about creation versus evolution. And creation science first, you know, we were going to, I don't know what it was, not boycott schools, but stand up, you know, you, you, as a, as a Christian young person, I was expected to stand up to my science teacher and say that everything we were reading in our textbook about carbon dating and, you know, dinosaurs and things like that was false. And here I can prove it to you with my little booklet. (laughs) There were seminars, there were conferences. It was a big deal. 
in that circle, it was a big deal. It was a threat, you know, that evolution would somehow prove that God didn't exist, somehow prove that creation, um, that we aren't created by God, you know, kind of thing. So it was a huge threat. And I feel like I don't have the research to show, but it's sort of made science a threat in general. And so then when, when climate change became part of the, you know, national conversation and um, Al Gore, you know, of course, he's, you know, a Democrat, which, you know, in my upbringing was like being in the devil's camp. Oh, and (laughs) maybe I shouldn't say that, but that was the (laughs) truth. Um, It again, just became this whole thing. Like that is fake. That is false. Um, And then also we were believing that you got saved to go to heaven and we were leaving this place. Like this place is not our home. Okay. We have songs. Oh, and those are <laughs> evil. Right. Right. Well, that's why I, there's the NT right journey that yes. we took sort of together where he is so good and brilliant yes. at sort of explaining why that theology is wrong. Mistaken. Yes. Right. And, and it's not an evacuation plan. Right. You know, um, what Jim Mantel says, it's a building plan, you know, and, and how will we care for the earth? And, and even in our creation theology, you know, has come forward to stewarding and not what the word dominion means and, and those kinds of pieces. Right. And I, I get so excited when people do talk about that, you yeah. know, the, the original call for mankind to be caretakers and managers. And one thing Pastor Dan used to always say is most of the problems are managerial problems, not God problems. Mm. You know, people get so upset, like, why would God allow this? Right. And that is real. I don't mean to diminish that. Right. But that is one way that has helped me to, to answer that question for myself or even in conversation with others. Right. But one thing I wanted to say to respond to you, because I grew up in a secular environment and evolution was just taught to me as part of the science curriculum, like any other scientific theory that is built upon and and Mm -hmm. over the years it evolves and maybe they find out one part of it isn't right or there's Mm -hmm. a better way to to think of it. But when I, again, like to come to faith with that already being real and true for me, it it has always been so obvious to me Mm -hmm. that evolution and science in general is just a deeper understanding of God's creation. Right. It's just and us that, understanding it more clearly. Sometimes we take a left turn or a right turn, mm-hmm. and we're actually going backwards. It's not necessarily necessarily linear, our, under, our deeper understanding. But it is, in, in a general sense, since we at one point thought the world was flat. Right. But <laughs> I think we are progressing. Yes. Well, it wasn't until college, uh, and I went to a Christian college, and I took a, a course on astronomy, and that professor was the first person who said to me, evolution does not negate creation. Like, these things can coexist very naturally, very companionably, you know, if you're willing to loosen your grip on, on um, being what right. threatening to. Yes. And so that was a turning point for me. but. I still, you know, I grew up with like recycling was considered like this annoyance that, you know, like oh, the government is just making us do things that is stupid. And <laughs> I can't remember the complaints, you know, in my family about it. And then gradually being able to change my perspective and understand that I have a, a responsibility. And what what am I doing here? And so 
you helped personalize this for me. And I'm hoping that this podcast will help personalize it for some folks um, who are struggling with that. Right. You know? And I think um, in terms of the fight or flight and that we're programmed to prioritize the urgent, mm-hmm. that maybe as we personalize it, we can also like gain a little bit of a sense of urgency without without taking on too much weight, you know. Right. But that the, how can we make it more urgent for ourselves and our congregations? Yes. And what needs to happen now? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me what what you what brought you to Bill Gates book and what do you yes. think about it? Well, so I've read many books on this topic mm-hmm. over the years. And again, like Rob Bell did that series, God is Green, and he interviewed this guy. Let's see, I have this book here. J. Matthew Sleeth. Mm-hmm. He's a doctor. So one of the one of the Sunday services when he did the series, he interviewed this guy. And so I read this book, Serve God, Save the Planet, mm-hmm. which is just such a great title. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And it's 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 just his personal story of how he went from being a doctor to being really alarmed about these things. And it's very much a faith-filled journey of mm-hmm. how he became how now he advocates for that. Mm-hmm. So we started to make changes just as a family, like we switched Based to on reading him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. saying, well, what can we do ourselves? Little things that we could take on doing more gardening, trying to do the cloth diapers, which lasted composting. For, you yeah. Yes. Oh, I love composting. And that's another thing. My mom always composted when nobody, I'd never met anyone that even knew what that meant. Yeah. You started me composting <laughs> <Yeah>. too. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, compost. <laughs> So then in just feeling like, what could I do? I feel like one of the things that is most important for me to do is to try to be the person that gets other Christians excited about this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I've done that very well over the years. You know, it certainly hasn't been linear. I gave that talk. I've done little things. I have conversations with people. But it wasn't until recently where I felt like I need to ask the leaders of my church to consider talking about this, leading us in this. Mm-hmm. Because that's all I can do is advocate. Like me recycling, yes, that's good. Me doing gardening and composting or buying a hybrid car, those are all great things, but that's not going to get us anywhere. Right. But if we could get the big C church behind creation care, we could really change things. Like it could really accelerate us getting to zero. And so I felt like I can call my legislators Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there is an app that a friend told me about called Just Five Calls. Oh, I think that's what it's called. Okay. Um, It's this fabulous little app. So you can get it on your phone. You can choose which topics are most important to you. Uh huh. And then they'll send you, you, they'll give you goals like call these people. They give you a little script of what you can say because just calling your senators is really, really powerful. Yep. I did that for the first time, probably since college. I remember doing it a couple times in college, but. For the first time this year, about it was right when, you know, President Biden was elected and there were questions about what is he going to do, you know, first and rejoining the, the Paris you know, Climate Accord. And so that came to me in an email, like, call your call your representative right now. And so I did. And I was scared as hell. It's not easy, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and yet, you know. Some young woman's voice, you know, came on the phone and I fumbled along, you know, nervously saying, like, I, I just need to express how important this is. And, you know, I really want you to know that as, a, you know, one of the constituents here, I, I, I strongly support this and it's imperative that we, you know, continue on. And she's like, yes, yes, you know, and, and what's your zip code? <laughs> yeah, you need to leave your address and your yes. name and all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. 
But so. this just five calls um, gives you all of that, tells you what you need yeah. to do. Good. And when I've, I've only done it a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard. But sometimes you, I, more often than not, you leave a message. Yes. And so you're trying to do that. Which is what but I was expecting. I, I've also had conversations <laughs> with people. But with, um, I did get a very nice email back. And it's probably like a boilerplate thing, but it was mm-hmm. very specific in yeah. terms of the things that he is doing on these Same. various yes. issues. Yeah. So it's important. It has power. And that's exactly what Bill Gates says. Right. You know, so um, you're better at giving a synopsis of, of things. So where do you want to start okay. with this? Well, um, he has, like you said, a huge focus on the economics behind this. Mm-hmm. So the premise that he starts with really is we have 51 billion tons of greenhouse gases that we emit every year as a world mm-hmm. and that we need to get to zero. Mm-hmm. And so he first go, he first kind of breaks down why it has to be zero. Mm-hmm. And he has this fabulous analogy of a bathtub. If you have a bathtub that's slowly overflowing, even if you turn the water down to right. a trickle, it still will overflow. So that as he has done this research and met with all these people and just really taken a deep dive into some of the science around this, he's come to the cl- conclusion that we just have to get to zero mm-hmm. and that it won't be easy, but that it's possible. And that through deploying some of the green technologies we already have mm-hmm. in m- much faster but also innovating like crazy. So those are sort of the two parts of it is deploying the stuff we have and then innovating like crazy. And both of those things require support from the government. And he talks a lot about where the government is so important in this. And one of them is just um, we're going to basically need to move toward electric everything and then find green ways to power that. Although there'll be some things with carbon catching technologies. That was fascinating reading some of that. Yeah. Yeah. But that... Redoing our entire grid, really, with the high power, the the grid that we have. He 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 gets into all this detail about yeah. all these things, but not so much that I couldn't grasp it, which I really appreciated. Right, I thought it was very easy to read. Yeah, you know, like it's it's for the average person. There are not a lot of hard words. It's a bit boring in the middle. I'll say that. Like where you you feel like well, you feel like you're reading the same thing over and over again because you're reading about. We got to get the carbon contained, you know, and carbon is being emitted by everything, seemingly everything we do. And so, yeah, um, I, it was so, there were some surprises, some things that you we all know about, mm-hmm. you know, like coal fired power plants mm-hmm. and then other things like making cement. Who right. knew that making cement had so many Emissions. greenhouse gases? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he he does talk about a lot, which I really appreciated, is that Yes, we can reduce and that sort of thing, but mostly we just need to innovate because we're not going to ask people not to develop, you know, especially the um, developing world. Right. That we can't ask them not to do what we did. Right. That they need power too. So the key is how do we do these things? How do we power our world and make things without emitting these gases? That was one of the pieces about this book that even though... Obviously, it's not a faith-based book. I felt like there was grace through the whole yes, thing. Yes, I agree. And, yes. you know, that idea of we need to care for our world neighbors who need what we already have, the infrastructure, elect- reliable electricity. Um, and he talks, I listened to um, him on a podcast that you had recommended. The Rashida Jones one? Yes. Oh, yeah. So that's so good. I wanted to say it's, it's, it's called um, Bill Gates and Rashida Jones Ask Big Questions. And it's episode number four. 
Is it yes. too late to stop climate change? I've listened to it a couple times and it like while I'm cooking, you know, kind of thing. And hearing him talk about, you know, flying into Africa, you know, there to do kind of world health. He, you know, the foundation does a lot with world health. And so he's there to think about those things and re- like looking around and the country is dark at night. There are no lights, you know, so when you're flying in and, and just thinking about not having electricity and what that does to a society when you have to rely on daylight all the time in which to get anything done and on and on um, hospitals. And we, when you realize how much electricity we use all the time for everything, it's astonishing. And we completely take it for granted. We do. And so he sort of started on that problem. And then that's kind of what led him to, is climate change really an issue? Right. And, you know, he obviously decided, yes, it is. And here's, you know, here's why. Here's the book. Here's um, why. And here's so many great ways to think about moving yes. forward with hope. Yes. And, and he says, we are going to need pr- to produce more electricity, right. actually, as these other nations develop and as right. the population grows. And that kind of like love of neighbor, that was so reassuring to me as I was reading this. Some of what I could give up, or he talks about green premiums, you know, and being able to afford buying something that comes from a green source as opposed to something that comes from, quote, a dirty source, fossil fuel source. And can I afford that? You know, and will I look at that as something that helps me be a better neighbor? Like one of the essential teachings of Jesus, love your neighbor. And so it's hard to make it connect one for one. And yet it helps me, again, personalize this to how do I need to change my life? And I felt like he made he made the hurdles real, but more attainable, like they weren't lower, but they were more attainable than some of the other books I've read where it was like, you have to give up everything. You just have to stop, you know, like, <laughs> like one of the things I have friends who, uh, you know, give things up for Lent. So I gave up Ziploc bags for Lent. OK, <laughs> completely silly. And yet, like, I didn't really have anything I was thinking, like, well, you really should give this up, you know, kind of thing. And so I have a friend who is, she's wonderful. I'm now co-oping this, like, taking this in another direction. But she is completely committed to, like, minimalizing her waste, you know, like, just keeping waste to a minimum. And so, you know, she has challenged me to, like, when I go to the grocery store, obviously bring my reusable bags. And I have those little, like, produce bags. And so I'm not taking that plastic and that kind of thing. And, like, all these little tiny kind of easy adjustments. But they are adjustments. And they're not convenient, you know. And just kind of changing my own expectation that my life should be convenient. I could go in a million directions with that one. But because of her, I thought, well, I'll give up Ziploc bags. And that caused me to use dish towels, you know, to cover bowls and like just odd things. Paper bags now hold like the half of onion that I didn't use, you know, and that just goes in the fridge now in a paper bag, which I then can recycle, you know, like those kinds of things and or compost even. And it was a strange experience, you know, to like give up something that what do you reach for? You know, like, okay, the recipe calls for shaking chicken in a bag, you know, well, paper bags work folks. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't have to go back figuring out what adjustments can I make in my life that move me from thinking I need things to be a certain way. 
And so there's that part, the personal responsibility mm-hmm. part, which I think can be fun. Yeah. Too. Like you can yeah. feel like good, just right. the same way you feel good if you give blood or good if you help someone that you can feel good about that. I do. Yeah. And even, and I don't mean to diminish it right. either. Like it is, I guess what I'm trying to say is it, it does help undo some of the other things that I need, like, let's say in order to consider, I mean, this is personal, but that's what I, I feel like is the goal. You know, so I said to my husband yesterday, like, do you know, are we, do we invest in fossil fuel companies? Like in our portfolio, is that part of it? How do I even begin to have that conversation of like divesting? He's like, they're all in mutual funds. I really don't even know. I'm like, how do we find that out? And what do we do there? I don't know that I would have ever thought about that had I not been reading and honestly taking the silly it quote inconvenience of giving up a plastic Ziploc bag. Like to me, those things are connected. They help me move out of what's comfortable for me. And then what other, well, I can live without that. So what else? But even more powerful would be if your husband asked his employers, where are they invested? Because as individuals, we have a very tiny amount of power. Yes. Better is to use your influence. Right. In terms of talking to the people that are leading in your community. And yet I think this and, is and, where it begins. And, well, and, and this, so this brings me to one of the things that I think is just so exciting and brilliant. Um, Catherine Hayhoe. Mm-hmm. So she is uh, an environmental scientist and she does a lot of teaching about climate change. And she's also a Christian. Mm-hmm. So she has just all these really fabulous talks you can see on the internet she has a ted talk uh so it's Catherine with a k hey ho h-a-y-h-o-e and she has a great little ted talk i recommend it highly but the main thing she gets to is the most important thing we can do right now is talk about it right and she has all these sort of fun things about how no one wants to talk about it everybody feels afraid to talk about it because it's depressing or because it brings up political conflict And she lays out the reasons why talking about it is so important. So even just to have, try to have like a lighthearted discussion with your boss or with your pastor about, is this something we should engage with? Like, how can we respond to this need as, as Christ followers? I was Um, reading an article in Real Simple magazine and they interview her and the, the name of the article is called The Conversation Everyone Should Have. Catherine Hayhoff? How to talk about climate change with just about anyone in your life. And she's the main source. Oh, know, great. The quote. So yeah, it's, she's all in there. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm a yep. big fan of hers now. But I also read a book that I just loved that is not, again, not a faith-based book, but mm-hmm. it, it is just a beautiful book called Rising mm-hmm. by Elizabeth Rush. And talk about personalizing. So she is sort of writing in sort of a journalist style. Mm -hmm. And she just goes to the areas in our country that are already seeing some of the effects of Mm -hmm. climate change that we don't necessarily hear about a lot. But one of the communities she visits and just gets to know a bunch of people is in Staten Island, where uh, Hurricane Sandy was just devastated many parts of it. But the decision to actually relocate a whole community Mm -hmm. and some of these things that are already happening that maybe don't get very much press but what she does is she just she literally interviews these people and then she writes a transcript of their Mm. story in their words Mm. and so it's very personal and it very much gets around the 
pit of getting into political arguments around it because it's just people's stories of a real lived life. But for us who maybe aren't experiencing it firsthand to read a story of someone that is in their words, it's just a beautiful book. So I really recommend that. That'll be next. Yeah. There's so many books. Like we thought about doing um, several books for this topic, but I think the Bill Gates book kind of, it's just such a great read. And it, it, again, it gets above all that political noise Mm -hmm. and it also feels incredibly hopeful. Yes. And when I finished it, I felt like I could have a conversation, you know, about this topic. Whereas before I, I feel like I always have to look things up and I have to find the data and this and that. And, and this gave me what feels like an understanding of not just the problem, but the, the way to go about it. I'm sure that will be disputed, you know, as we well, come should up we with talk about nuclear talking okay. about disputes. Okay. Uh, he is, I would say, sort of gently pro-nuclear. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he, this is a quote from page 85, that it's hard to foresee a future where we decarbonize our power grid affordably without using more nuclear power. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so this is on page 84. Nuclear fission. So that's the current kind of nuclear power that we use. And Mm -hmm. I'll just say also my dad, this was his whole career, was researching um, actually (laughs) nuclear fusion, Mm -hmm. which never... Because the funding went up and down over the time of his career, it kind of which he talks about that it's very hard for us to get anywhere when research and development is is so fickle. Like four years, someone's funding it, a new president comes in and they change the policy. And so, I mean, I saw these reactors. He talks about the plasma reactors for the nuclear Mm -hmm. fusion research that they do. I've walked inside of one of those. They're enormous. Uh And so to think that they could spend that much money on a project like that and then just and shut it down. And he eventually retired early because of that. Mm. He just felt so discouraged that Mm -hmm. they never, so that he'd be working on nuclear fusion and then everything would change. They'd be like, no, why don't you guys work on computer science for a while? Mm -hmm. And so he'd do that for a while. So this is near and dear to my heart in a way, Mm -hmm. but nuclear fission is what we currently use in, you know, on aircraft carriers and the power plants that we have. Mm -hmm. So he says, here's the one sentence case for nuclear power. It's the only carbon-free energy source that can reliably deliver power day and night through every season, almost anywhere on Earth, that has been proven to work on a large scale. Mm -hmm. And he also has this great analogy, something I never thought of, was how much space and how much... How much space does your energy source require mm-hmm. and how many materials does it require per watt of, or of energy it mm-hmm. creates? And nuclear, of course, is really efficient. Mm-hmm. But this, I thought, was really helpful. High-profile accidents, so this is just on the next page, 86. High-profile accidents at Three Mile Island in the United States, Chernobyl in the former USSR, and Fukushima in Japan put a spotlight on all these risks. There are real problems that led to those disasters. But instead of getting to work on solving those problems, we just stopped trying to advance the field. Imagine if everyone had gotten together one day and said, hey, cars are killing people. They're dangerous. Let's stop driving and give up these automobiles. That would have been ridiculous, of course. We did just the opposite. We used innovation to make cars safer. Um, And then he goes on to say, nuclear power kills far, far fewer people than cars do. For that matter, it kills far fewer people than any fossil fuel. Mm. Nevertheless, we should improve it, just as we did with cars, by analyzing the problems one by one and setting out to solve them with innovation. Mm -hmm. And so I just find that 
really Hopeful. great because I think we've been told a narrative about nuclear, yeah. depending on what side of the mm-hmm. argument you've been brought up on. Sure. You've heard all, all the propaganda from one side or the other. Mm-hmm. And I find this to be kind of a balanced, mm-hmm. intelligent response. Yeah. So, it includes reality and also includes hope for the future. Right. And it's going to make a lot of people upset because there are a lot of people that just think they just cannot accept nuclear, especially a lot of people that are in the green movement. Sure. So that's interesting. Right. Well, and that's sort of what I appreciate too about the risk that he takes, you mm-hmm. know, in it seems objective to me. He's he's kind of transparent about places where he's spent money. He's like, it sounds like I'm maybe self-serving here because I also do this and this and this. Oh, with the the um the meat alternatives? Well, a he's, lot of He things. does it several yeah. times, you know, like I'm a big user of fuel, aviation fuel, right. you know, and so I'm investing in biofuel or he's investing in other ways to make that fuel clean mm-hmm. um, and buying the carbon offset, you know, to help his emissions stay at net zero. I think those are exemplary things. Um, yeah, I admire so him so much. I, I just too. wanted to say that. I, I just think like... He's been given the gift of intelligence, but also luck, right? Yeah. In terms of a person of privilege, he had a, an excellent education, was able to take right. advantage of all those opportunities and build something amazing and beautiful that helped people and the world develop in, in a really positive way. But then he's taken all of that and he's reinvesting it mm-hmm. uh, just in terms of his foundation, in terms of right. what he and Melinda are about and encouraging other people with a lot of wealth to do that. I just think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, he's, he has this little thing like, I know I might not be the best spokesperson because, and I can't remember what his reasons mm-hmm. are, but nevertheless, he's I doing stand it. to gain from like these things actually taking yeah. off and doing well. Well, I think that's an too. argument that he makes really well in terms of the economic um, advantages mm-hmm. of pursuing this, that I think really would appeal to the people that are more conservative or on the uh, right side right. of the political spectrum. It's like, this is about this is about economic opportunity. Yes. If we develop these technologies first, we will benefit. If you think of it from a purely um, getting them to scale, a product like getting to... a product that you mm-hmm. can market, and so that's I think a really important way to look at it. That I think folks on the left don't ever talk about. Right. So I really appreciated that mm-hmm. perspective. Agreed. Yeah, it's very readable from wherever standpoint you're coming from. I think getting to the what do you then do about it? That's really hard. <laughs> But I feel more hopeful now than I have in a while. Uh Sometimes I just do feel if you start to dive into this stuff, it's really it can be really sad and really discouraging. Yeah. And and my experience, even though I've been interested and drawn to this for 15 years or longer, I haven't necessarily done all the things. I drive an SUV, you know, I when I bought the SUV, I felt so guilty and my brother, who is an economist and specializes in energy uh-huh. economy, so oil mostly, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, he was like, look, per butt, you're getting the best mileage in town. So don't worry about it. <laughs> so I've taken that. Per time. butt in the well, seat. Yeah, per butt in the seat. You know, when you're a family of six right. and you have an SUV, okay, maybe that's not so bad. But yeah. still, I just wanted to say that to say it's not as if I am a paragon of virtue in this area, mm-hmm. that I also, I have, I... I haven't yet switched to the clean energy source that the electric company offers, Uh which I hadn't ever noticed. And then just a couple of statements ago, I noticed that there was this option. Uh And I've just been a little bit hesitant. Like, what does that mean? Will I be roped into some high rate? 
But he does explain that a little bit in this book and that you can check in your your own community, but that it's generally about $18 more a month for an average American household. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it, but I haven't done it yet. (laughs) Okay. There's your challenge. (laughs) That's my challenge. And to keep calling. Although it does feel like because we live in a polarized country, I happen to live in a pretty blue state. So for me to call my senators is not as powerful as friends that live in a more red state. Right. right. True. For policy. But also we need conservative minds to put their take on how we create these policies. Yes. Right. They can't just be, it can't be a partisan policy. Well, and that's one of the things he says in here. It stuck out to me that we need innovation, not just in one type of science. We need innovation in all areas, like in um, on page 198, he says in energy, software and just about every other pursuit. It's a mistake to think of innovation only in the strict technological sense. Innovation is not just a matter of inventing a new machine or some new process. It's also coming up with new approaches to business models, supply chains, markets, and policies that will help new inventions come to life and reach a global scale. Innovation is both new devices and new ways of doing things. So that idea of like, you don't just need new products that solve problems. We need new policies that allow them to become the product or allow them to become uh, competitive in the market. He goes through all of those you know, types of issues that need to be paid attention to. And he talks about how hard energy is compared to, say, technology, because mm-hmm. the, uh, the development phase is so much longer. Mm-hmm. So you really have to get the government involved because private companies just won't be able to take that risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so partnering, I thought that was really interesting, and I didn't even know about that, like right. partnering government with private Right. In some of the research and development. And he has examples of when they have done that, like with the Internet. Yeah. So it was it's just a great book. Yeah. And, you know, that reminds me of like you saying, well, what if, you know, Doug, my husband, talked to his boss about how they invest? Because one of the things he says in the podcast, Bill Gates, is uh, he's asked the question, you know, what is what is the thing that you can do, you know, as an individual to move us forward? And he says, use your political voice. And what you said on top of that is use your influence. So even if we're living in an area in which, you know, these things are accepted as these have to be priorities and we have to do something we have to get working on it. Well, there are companies and organizations, you know, locally to us that aren't seeing that, you know, that aren't making those choices and decisions. and. How can you influence people, Um, which is hard. It's hard and it's hard. It's a whole nother subject, really. But just to know how to do that respectfully, how to do that um, intelligently, how to do that humbly. Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) Yes. Well, that's why the people that might be the best suited to ask those kind of questions of their bosses and their pastors Mm -hmm. and all of the people that are colleagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is someone that isn't necessarily knee deep in green policy, right? True. Yeah. It's just ordinary people saying, what do we think as a church about how can we lead our congregation in mm-hmm. this? Mm-hmm. Just asking that question. So where did you get with 
talking well, to you, the well, leadership of your well, church. It didn't go necessarily the way, <laughs> the way you hoped. Yes. Well, basically, <laughs> the feedback I got was that they care immensely too, and they think that there's a really important place for the church to speak out on creation care. But how to do it is the thing, because they don't want to mm-hmm. upset people. It is seen as a political thing. So I don't know. I get it, but yeah. I also don't get it. Yeah. That, you know, we do have to be brave as church leaders. I mean, not that I'm, I mean, I have some voice in my church, um, but if you're leading a church, you, you know, part of it is saying things that people don't want to hear, yeah. right? Part yeah. of it is the conviction that we were talking about last week that <laughs> the church is there to support and encourage and show beauty and encourage our best, but also to convict us of the things that need convicting. Right. And I, again, like I, I know this is hard because you don't want people feel so paralyzed around this sometimes because yes. we're all in it together. Yes. So like if you're in a community that if you want to get some cement poured, what are your options? Like, right. you know, we're in it together. So as long we can't waste too much time blaming each other or saying, well, this person shouldn't drive that car, all of that right. stuff. But how can we, the people that are leading, open our eyes to at least some of the possibilities? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of went back and forth because I had read um, another book that you'd recommended to me called Climate Church, Climate World by Jim Antal. And, and I would recommend it. Um, I would too. Especially if you're, you know, a person of faith, a person connected to a, a local church and you'd like, you know, more from your church. And that it gives a lot of, well, a lot of background to kind of how the church has been involved in the past, maybe um, on a smaller scale than you might want, or maybe on a bigger scale than you ever realized. You know, for me, it was that. It was like, wow, I didn't know that churches were doing this in 2008, you know, or in 1970-something. I didn't know. And so it was a good read for that. And also, there there's so much resources, so many resources that they bring up in there that if you are like me, trying to... F- trying to learn and understand there were films that I watched because they were mentioned in that book there were websites I went to because they were mentioned in that book and then there's also suggestions at the end on how can you influence your pastors your church leaders if you're a pastor how can you influence your congregation and the word conviction was on my mind a lot as I read it you know and just I agree like I don't think we should spend too much time you know, beating ourselves up or, you know, self-flagellating ourselves and just woe is us. Although I do think there's kind of a place for grief. Right. And we even, didn't know better. I mean, you could argue. Yeah, true. We, you know, Although, like in the beginning, we certainly didn't. Um, and then as it became known, it was hidden, you know, kind of like, say, the tobacco industry, you know, like the folks doing it figured it out before the rest of us did. And then, you know, covered it. And, da, 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 da. and then people who those of us who have kind of a vested interest in keeping the status quo, which is, let's face it, all of us, you know, we're all invested in our own comfort. And we live in a pretty comfortable society. So it's a hard challenge to get past it. It really is. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's not easy. Yeah. I guess I just wanted to finish that little piece with, I do think there's a place for grief. Um, Because as I was doing some of the reading and, and watching, you know, documentaries and things like that. I, I've shed some tears over this, you know, that I kind of needed to. Uh, I just watched the documentary 
I am Greta, you know, Greta Thunberg, and she's the activist from Sweden, the young girl, uh, oh. who has, you know, I think in 2017, she started her climate school strike, sat outside of parliament and by herself, you know, and then three years later, there are 7 million people marching for climate change, you know, from one person. And that type of story, <laughs> because I've grown up in church world, it can become like, um, the puppet strings, you know, like the things that we flaunt and throw in front of people to get them to ooh and ah and like somehow feel better about life, you know, and it becomes, we use a story like that to make it performative or to, to influence people to feel like they got something, you know, and yet it's a real story. And there's no doubt in my mind that she has moved the meter in terms of awareness, in terms of motivation, in terms of young people seeing themselves as important in this work. Well, that, that is something I've thought a lot about, that a fruit of this, if the church, like a, an individual church, but the big church too, if the church can get, get on this, it will bring a lot of young people back. I don't know, there's like, maybe not, it's not the reason to do it, but it is something that young people care about, yeah. and they are disappointed in their elders for not caring about it. Right. And and that's so, sort of the, the place that I come from with it is, it's so self-righteous to say, I feel betrayed, you know, by the church. And, and in ways I want to chastise them. <laughs> and I want to say like, you know, shame on you. That why shouldn't we have been the ones, you know, marching along with this from the beginning? So for me, back to that conviction piece, like I have really, that has really been the thing kind of for me up at night. Certainly, you know, I have. I have 20-somethings who talk about climate change a lot. But if the church had done a better job, then maybe they would earn the right to lead. That's just kind of where I'm at is, you know, I I mean, it shouldn't paralyze us and we can't stay. But the church has incredible power right now. True. So if this could become a core issue or even, even not a core issue, even just an issue, just in terms of the overall effect of moving the ball forward. Yeah. In terms of the people that make the decisions about where to spend that money for right. research. And the influence over numbers of people. I mean, I agree. It's, it's painstaking. It's, yeah. it's painful. Yeah. But not without hope. And, and that is one of the pieces in the climate church, climate world. You know, he talks about the difference between optimism and hope. You know, and hope being sort of this, like, well that you draw from. I did feel hopeful after I finished Bill Gates' book. You know, I did feel like I was drawing from the well. So... That's kind of where I'm, where I'm at. Where are you at with your final bit of this? My final bit of this? Yeah. Well, for I would now, recommend, I would recommend Bill Gates. He, the, he has an organization that he is part of called BreakthroughEnergy.org. So if you don't have time to read the book, it has a lot of the same material and it's just in a different format. And they have like quizzes you can take to see how much you think you know and then you don't. So it's sort of fun. I guess I just, I'm lifting this up. I feel like it's the beginning of, the, of a conversation. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's something that I have put a lid on for many years in a way, in terms of being vocal about it for all of the reasons that Catherine Hayhoe said, you know, I don't want to upset anybody. I, it, it, I don't want to depress anybody. Mm-hmm. And especially in, in the church circles, it's just not a conversation that people have in my experience. So I feel like it's the beginning of being brave for me about how can I use my influence more 
Mm-hmm. Provocative conversation. Yeah. yeah. Provocative conversation. <laughs> so would you pray over this? Sure. For <laughs> I'm so funny that you would ask me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> also, I just want to say really quickly, our website is giftgirls.blog. And on there, I'm going to have all the information for everything that we've talked about today, since there's so many sort of supportive resources that we talked about. Um, so that's all going to be on our, our website, giftgirls.blog, and of course, all of our other conversations. And then also you can visit us on our Facebook page, uh, Gift Girls Faith. Hmm. So I just wanted to throw that out there first, because sometimes I forget to. Dear God, creator, the source of everything that we enjoy in creation, the one who gave us our calling to steward the earth, the one who does know how to help us move along, how to help us work together, how to help us make change uh, in a direction that brings health and flourishing and beauty, and also the source that gives us the courage to take steps that are uncomfortable, to make mistakes, uh, to offer grace. I pray that you'd give us wisdom. I pray that you would um, bless people in leadership roles, people with influence, with wisdom and guidance, and that you would help us. Help us to to change and and do the work that is before us. Um, We ask for your mercy and your continued grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.